The following podcast is an audio version of a live show that takes place daily on Crowdcast. To join our live audience, visit our Crowdcast website at crowdcast.io slash in lieu of fun. That's crowdcast.io slash in lieu of fun. We're not allowed to have fun anymore. So lieu of fun, let's at least not be bored. Come and we're live. It is Friday, March 4th, 5.02 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, we are not allowed to have fun anymore, but we are allowed to be here with my old friend and colleague, uh, Lila Shapiro. Uh, hi, Lila. Uh, hi. We're going to introduce you in a second, but really briefly, I have to, for a moment, show my full screen um, because these uh, arrived on fr- on Wednesday completely out of the blue because Ben had given a long speech about how I was having a really crappy week and literally the show ended at six o'clock and my doorbell rang and it was this bouquet of flowers and I was like is this a mistake and the guy goes no these are for you and he hands me these flowers and they were from Paula who was one of the viewers on the show, as everyone knows, but Lila doesn't know that, so I'm explaining it, but they were from Paula. And it was like the world's sweetest thing that I like burst out in tears and picked up the flowers and was like, how did she even get them here? Like between Ben at five o'clock giving a long monologue about I was in a bad mood and like them arriving like 45 minutes later, she's incredible, she's amazing. Anyways, it was just like the sweetest thing ever and I wanted to say thank you. so we're not allowed to have fun anymore. Um, we, but we are, are allowed to have flowers. We are allowed to have flowers. We are allowed to have Lila. Lila, you will. Okay, so I have to give uh, an introduction for Lila that is worthy of Lila, which is that Lila, if not for Lila Shapiro in my life in my early 20s, which was far too late to come to Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but I will end the Whedon verse. But I will say that. Had it not been for your intervention during a bad breakup, Lila, in which you were like, you should watch Buffy. And I was like, oh, I always thought that was a stupid show. And you were like, no, no, it is, it is everything. It is so good. <laughs> it, is, it is super next level that I would never have started watching it. And it became and like continues to this day to be one of the shows that my partner, after 15 years together, like jokes he's like oh yes it's like you're in that kind of like i start watching it all over again and i probably have watched the entire oeuvre like between nine and 12 times i like completely lost count which is like if anyone knows like a lot of tv it is a lot of tv it is a great deal of tv um and i mentor a number of young women of which paula is one of them and i have started a buffy the vampire slayer watching group through the pandemic in which we all get on Amazon Prime and I watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer, like we watch it like in real time with them. And like, I'm bringing up this, like the young Slayer generation, uh, which we haven't gotten to that part yet. So no spoilers, Lila. But there's like- <laughs> Where are you right now? Oh, uh, we're still in season two. We're in season two. Uh, so it's like, it's it hasn't, we haven't gotten super far. Um, but anyways, all of this is to say that um, I have wanted to do, as all of this has happened, the pandemic has happened, I went back to Buffy because it's like my comfort food. And then the Whedon controversy like accelerated uh, amidst kind of a greater free speech cancel culture, kind of how do we deal with artists being canceled kind of moment. I thought of you many times and kind of was like we we tried to get people to come on to talk about this and like to try to get to like focus on kind of maybe even possibly getting Joss Whedon to come on and talk about it because one of the ways that this show is kind of similar to the Whedon universe is that it's very it was like it's very like er, feels very early internet we have like a couple hundred people who join us every have joined us every day and it's like becomes very much its own community and its own thing and there's like proto elements of kind of that early kind of Whedon burst days in any event uh 
I was at Whole Foods and I came across this. Uh, I have not bought a magazine, by the way, like in like years. And I like bought this. I was like, oh, that looks compelling. I wish Lila had written it. And then I looked out and there was Lila's byline at the bottom. And I was like, oh, perfect. And so then I very excitedly bought it and emailed you. And here we are today. Um, so that is all a very long way of saying welcome to the show. Thank you for indulging me, Ben, and everyone in the chat. For oh, like I'm, I'm, I'm excited about this. I, yeah. I have I have questions. Yeah. <laughs> but thank uh, you so much for having me. It's my but the first one is, how did you come to be writing about Joss Whedon uh, in, as, a, as a feature for New York at this point? Um, well, so I'm, I'm on staff there. I've been on staff since 2019. And I think I kind of actually first started pitching him around then. Um, at that point, you know, it, there, my, my hook early on was like, well, the nevers had been announced and, you know, it was like, oh, okay, Joss coming back to television, back to his own universe um he's doing super the nevers by the way is a is a show about female superheroes female superheroes so he's doing female superheroes again can he still do that and then also like the his ex-wife's letter had already come out accusing him you know of being a hypocrite preaching feminist ideals and of cheating on her for 15 years of their marriage including with actresses on his show so I was like, there's something here to talk about, to think about, and it would be really interesting to talk to him. And so like, I originally approached his team in 2019 and connected to the Nevers and was like, maybe we could profile him. Um, they kind of blew, blew me off. They were like, maybe come back to us. You know, we're shooting now. I don't know. Um, and then uh, I was working on other things. Um, but in then, the, then Ray Fisher began speaking tweeting about Joss and I pitched it again to my editor um, and sh and we kind of talked about it more and we were like we could probably do something you know with him or without him because he's worked with so many people some people are going to be willing to talk about him um, you know and and so in January of 2021 I um, decided to like just go all in on it and I went back to his team at that point it was like I am I'm going to be writing about him I am going to be writing about the controversy. I'm reaching out to people, but I'd really love to talk to him and hear his perspective. And like, it was sort of, you know, they put me off for months, um, but eventually, you know, they wanted to know what I was doing. They kept getting on the phone with me, his crisis PR public, like his publicist kept getting on the phone with me and wanting to know what I was doing, what I was, who I was trying to talk to, et cetera. Um, and, you know, I, what I said to them essentially was like, you know, I, I happened to have written about two other um, figures who were involved in, somewhat involved in like, you know, one of them was involved in, the twi in a Twitter controversy where she was like accused of plagiarism. Turned out she didn't plagiarize. And my piece like showed how she didn't plagiarize. Another one was a woman, a, roman a paranormal romance author who'd accused her um, ex-husband of trying to murder her by poison and like my I investigated like I met with her I investigated what had happened and like she did she wasn't poisoned so I was so like, you're kind of like becoming this like truth like truth teller this like everyone yeah. says like people get like rumors get told lies get spread I come in and kind of tell the truth about what's happening here yes and that's what I told them I was going to do and I was like I, I I don't come in with an agenda Buffy was a very important show to me I gave years of my life to watching that show and I really want to understand what happened and that's my goal and you know ultimately they decided they wanted to do that and he decided he wanted to do that and i think you know he really wanted to speak because he felt like he'd been like unfairly represented so you know we began with sort of preliminary phone conversations and then i like i had like a baby in the middle of this um, oh my god i didn't know you had a baby congratulations thank you and then so i like had like two preliminary calls with him then i went on maternity leave for four months and then my like second week back from leave, I went out to LA and like 
you know, went, went to his house. And then, you know, all along as this was happening, I was like very systematically like reaching out to, um, you know, more than like 150 people basically who'd worked with him over the years, just saying, you know, very sort of um, straightforward, non-leading kind of email, just saying like, I'm working on a piece about him. I'm, I'm, you know, it was, an, it, his work is important to me. Um, do you want to talk? And so, you know, and obviously a lot of people didn't want to talk, but then as, you know, as it went on, more and more people did want to talk. Um, so that's kind of how it all ultimately came together. Um, so I think that, I think that one of my questions is, I have now read this, this piece, which I will say that like, you do like the scene setting so well, I, I, I really think that you you do a tremendous summary um, of all of kind of the accusations that have been leveraged against them. And they're, I don't know, you don't do them in a sensational way. Like they're very, in my mind, like even. Um, I still don't know what you think of him and how it, and like whether, and I think that that's like a little bit on purpose, but I actually like profiles like that, that kind of do not resolve. I know that these are I thought that the the very controversial New Yorker profile on um, oh my god su succession guy um, Jeremy Jeremy yeah. Strong was like very very neutral like is actually was like very neutral people were like this is so this is a hit piece and I was like oh, okay. and I think that this is kind of similar and I think that like there are a number of moments in which you juxtapose his own writing and moments in his own work against things that he's telling you in person. And um, I thought that you did this wonderfully. There was, I was, there was one specific kind of moment. I'm going to try to find it because they split it between pages, but the, um, in which you say that he's essentially kind of, he's sitting, Oh, this was it. It was like, now the internet has recast Snyder as a progressive hero while branding Whedon as progressive hero of yesterday as a villain and bigot. And then he says, the beginning of the internet raised me up and the modern internet pulled me down, Whedon said. The perfect symmetry is not lost on me. And I was like, oh, that is like a very, I just thought that that was like an excellent quote. I thought that that was like, you do, like you really kind of build up the whole story around that. I'm just kind of curious about, we always talk about process on the show. So what was the process of like, writing that and pulling that out as part of the narrative as contrasted to kind of trying to get the gotcha quotes or trying to get him to say something that made you feel as if he was going to directly address or do anything other than just categorically deny any of these types of moments of things that had happened to him. Um, well, just to sort of go in order through what you were saying, I mean, like it was definitely my intention not to judge you know like i mean i certainly had my feelings about it as i was speaking with him as i was speaking to people you know who felt they'd been hurt by him um but what i felt like ultimately my job in the piece was to do was like present the facts and his responses to them and like re i knew that readers would make up their minds about it and they have they have you know and it was very interesting seeing people going through and arguing about it. And some people are like, look, he's obviously a monster. And other people are like, what? What's the big deal? He's an asshole. Who cares? <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, that's that's for people to decide, you know, and and it's very personal and like really, I think, very bound up in people's personal histories, personal triggers, all of that stuff. Like how yeah. to read these things. Like if you've had a boss who has ever grabbed you by the arm and dug their fingernails into your arm, like you're going to be thinking like that, that sucks. Right. But like, maybe you are a boss and maybe you've yelled at people. And then maybe you're thinking like, mm, I don't know, maybe he lost his temper. People lose their temper. Okay. So I, I want to ask you, like, why do we care if Joss Whedon is an asshole or if he's a good guy, because I, I think there's a lot of people and I think Kate is one of them. And I suspect, judging from the way that you introduced your letter, your pitches to people for that, you're one of them, that it kind of matters to you if Joss Whedon is a good guy or an asshole. Um, and I have to say, I don't find that it matters to me a bit. I liked Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I loved Firefly. Um, 
And I actually thought Dollhouse was pretty wonderful too. It was good for a while. It like, uh, yeah, it goes off the deep end. And it goes and, off, yeah. But it's a it's an amazing concept. Yeah. Um, and and so I kind of admire him, but it doesn't matter to me one bit if he's a shithead or if he's uh, a good guy. I, the work stands on its own. Why should? Why do we care? Yeah, I mean, this is a better question than my question. We can get back to my question later. Process thing, because it's like it is. I do think it was an interesting and very agonized, tormented process, which like sent me back to therapy three days a week. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, I mean, in terms of why it matters, which is part of why it was so triggering to me, honestly. Like, I was definitely among the people who loved the show beginning as a teenager, and not. And it, and it felt good to to think about him being a good guy, you know. Like I I like I you said that like I recommended the show to you during a breakup. Like I watched that show through like a lot of really shitty relationships and a lot of toxic men, right? And then you're watching the show, and like the show makes you feel good because the show is really about like surviving toxic monsters, toxic men. And there was this fantasy at the time that he, you know that like was both among the fandom and that he himself played into that like he was a good guy like he was you know he he had like a mess there was a message in his work it was an intentional message and he stood behind the message and like people really liked to believe that i like to believe it and i think at the time there was very specifically this kind of idea of like you know Buffy is a show about how like the world is full of monsters and like you know as a teenager like that kind of echoed some aspect of like my reality and I think like I it was comforting to think to myself like oh like everyone is in a world full of gaslighters like Joss Whedon's not a gaslighter because like he will he will show you your true experience and like mirror it for you in some way and like that felt good and it was like part of watching the show it wasn't the whole thing and it's not like I had you know, I mean, take like Hitchcock, for instance, it doesn't matter because Hitchcock is making like, <laughs> there's no contradiction for, for a Hitchcock. There's no hypocrisy, right. There's no hypocrisy, but like he, he was, I mean, I do feel that he was hypocritical ultimately. And I think that if he could have just said, admitted it in our conversation, like it would have been a really different kind of conversation because a lot of people are hypocritical and it's not that big a deal ultimately. But to just say like, yeah, I was, you know, would have been so different than what he really said, <laughs> what he actually said to me, which was like, I am good. I am, you know, and we actually talked to, I mean, I didn't end up including that much about the hypocrisy thing, but we did talk about that a fair amount. And like, you know, he's like, that's bullshit. Like, I'm not a hypocrite. Like, I really did mean these things. And he didn't, he wasn't really able to acknowledge, like, the contradiction in his behavior towards women, or even in his feelings towards women, even when he would actually talk about it. Like, in his biography, you know, I talk about that in the piece where he says, like, um, he, he realized that he had advantage over the other women in his class, because you know, in his feminism classes, because like, unlike them, like he understood like the monstrous, you know, gaze and like the sick male mind. <laughs> and I'm like, to me, I'm like, and I actually said this to him at one point, I was like, so when I hear you say that, it sounds to me like you're saying that you love strong women and you hate them at the same time. Um, of course, he's like, no, 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 that's not true. That's not what I'm saying at all. So you know, I mean, in, but in terms of like, why does it matter? It's like, yeah, that's why it mattered. Like it mattered to like the 19 year old me who had that fantasy about him, all those other people who did too. Well, like, let me complicate that for like one second, which is that like the, the, like the, the thing that I have always struggled with with Buffy and actually it was not the panacea um, for the breakup kind of that I was like seeking it to be. And I actually forced me inward in a, like, a completely different way was that he complicates both the good guys and the bad guys to make the good guys do bad things, right? We see like people cheat on each other. We see people that are protagonists who we love, that we will not stop loving for the rest of the show, do really bad things to each other, really like do like unforgivable things like in humanity. Like, and then we come back to them and like them all the more. And there's all of, I mean, that is one of the things that makes the show so rich. And what is so interesting to me is that like 
I never actually saw it as a as a pure feminist kind of like a, a feminist bulwark, so to speak. Like it had that, of course. Like of course it did. There was a woman, as you say so well in the piece, there was a woman with a silly first name that would be like killed off in almost every like every episode of every TV show or every movie ever made. Like, and she instead is like the hero and the superhero, nonetheless. And so. What I was a little confused by is like how he doesn't tap in to that part of what he's built as an ex- like as a, as a as an explainer for how he acted. Like it seems it seems obvious. It's weird to me that he like sticks to this binary of no, I'm a good guy. Yeah, I mean, I I totally agree with you, and I don't think I would have been nearly so like invested in the show if it was this like simplistic tale of right. Powerment. like it was great because it was complicated um and it was like it was rich because it was complicated i mean i do think though that like there there is a line there is still some level of idealization of like buffy herself that like there are lines she won't cross where it's like if you think about like watching like yellow jackets or whatever i was like these girls are eating each other like he would never have <laughs> do that you know what I mean like because he is idealizing her on some like fundamental level like but anyway I mean I don't you know like when I he it's hard to even talk about like um what you know what I really think about him I mean in terms of what you're saying all the things he won't uh admit or that he thinks that you know the lies that he feels have been told about him I mean I think it would have been a really different conversation if he had said, like, if he had copped to those things, you know, and, and said that, you know, said that he had done them. I mean, plus we were talking over many, many months and, and so there were a lot of opportunities to think more, to, probe you know he's ostensibly in therapy in this time is he talking about this with his therapist or you know I mean who knows like I don't know um to me his attitude was very much like yes he'd done bad things and the bad things he felt he'd done were that he'd been a bad husband and he cheated and um you know and and for that his answer was like well now I'm in sex therapy um, or in, I'm in, you know, therapy for my sex addiction, my sex and love. And he has a, has a diagnosis. And he has a diagnosis, complex PTSD. Um, and um, and he's like, and so that, um, so that's that. But then everything else is like, he feels that he did, you know, he did the best he could. And he did better than other people did. And, um, and he's, you know, ultimately... Um, really not willing to talk about you know being a bad boss or being a bad boss or or like you know yeah being a bad boss sleeping with his employees I mean we did talk about that that was something that he was ultimately like did you know I mean I had tried several times in different ways to kind of talk about that with him but um you know, I think I think there was a feeling of like trust building up. I do think he felt that I was ultimately writing something that was going to redeem him. Redeem you know? him? Yeah. Like, I mean, I knew that that's why he wanted to do it. It was very like plain. Like, that's he, always like, why people engage with a with an interview. That's oh, I mean, yeah. no offense to you, but like, they're not. He's not engaging with it because you think you're going to write a hit piece. He thinks it's because he can. Right, you will. Yeah, right. Like, I mean, that's yeah, why most people, all most people, including bad people, do not think of themselves as bad people, and they think that if they can explain, you will understand. Yeah. And the pro and the and the problem is that, and look, there's a there's a professional discipline issue here. Um, there is no other than member of Congress or the Senate. There is no position in the world that uh, uh, selects for narcissism more than uh, than being a director. Um, and when you're a director who's also a writer, president, uh, a politician. <laughs> um, although I actually think uh, I, I actually think president 
in some ways is less because uh, pre because executive action is very kinetic and it involves actually doing things and it can be quite humbling. Um, whereas, you know, somebody who gives speeches for a living and has a staff who's designed to make them look good and nothing else, uh, that is a, you know, breeds a kind of narcissism. Um, but directors are particularly somebody who's as polyglot talented as he is. He writes the music for these shows. He's, he, um, you know, he's a, he's a genuinely, um, uh, 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 broadly, diversely, weirdly talented person. And that, uh, contributes, I'm sure, to a certain narcissistic egomania. And I don't, it doesn't seem to me to, it seems like very, to use your example of politicians or presidents, it seems very Clinton-esque actually for him to be, um, to be yeah. capable of holding in his head the idea that he's really good for women. And by the way, Really bad to I, women. I really want that one, um, and that that not to cause him any cognitive dissonance at all. And That's it an actually observation. I love and it, that. And it actually seems to me, I'll go a step further. Um, like a genuinely good guy who's really interested in female empowerment doesn't need to make a fantasy movie about it, right? It's only somebody who's a little bit wired with the vampire side and who has a kind of predatory streak um, who's, you know, who actually, I mean, that's a fantasy that is, um, a lot of it is kind of from the point of view of the vampires. Um, and I it doesn't surprise me that he's a creep at all. I mean, I totally agree with, I totally agree with your read. Um, and I, I was thinking about Clinton actually, like, cause I watched impeachment while I was writing it. And there's this like great scene where Clive Owens just starts ranting about like all naming all the women in his administration and ranting, like no one has done more for women than I have, you know? And I was like, Oh <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, now in retrospect, like having spent time with him, having thought about it in this way, I don't feel surprised. Like, and you know, and it, it and it and it very much like all makes sense. Like, I don't see a contradiction between him and his work at all. Like, and I think what something that really rubs me the wrong way is people who are like saying now like oh the work that was great because there were so many wonderful women on it or like sarah michelle geller made that work great and it's like okay no like he made the work great and like everyone i talked to regardless of how they felt about him affirmed that fact you know what i mean like nobody who worked on that on any of his shows like had issue with the idea that like he was the brain behind them he was you know it's his psyche in all of his work that we're watching, like projected on the screen, almost all the plot points of every show are his and almost all the dialogue is too, because he rewrites everything. So it's like, and yeah, and I don't- He kind of any. comes across as a very much a control freak. And yeah. like all of the, yeah. I mean, besides yeah. in like the reports of how he like grabs people and digs his fingernails in, like, like also just in like the hey, writer's- fingernail room. digging is, uh, you know, who among us hasn't? <laughs> I mean, I, that was the joke. <laughs> you know I was trying to. I, I was trying to see if I could get you to snarf the, uh, the 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 thing you were drinking. I had this like wild conversation with his crisis publicists. Like, I mean, everything really. The last two weeks of closing the story were very difficult and uncomfortable. Um, and you know that was when I had to present to him everything that was going to be in the piece to give him the chance to respond. And he began that final conversation by, um, so, you know, and I, I would always begin these, this was now over Zoom, and I would begin the conversation by saying, you know, just how are you? And he on that Zoom was like, I'm great. Like, I've 
you know, I've finally, I've, you know, I've, I've, I've had body blows, but I finally toughened up. And, you know, actually, I think like, I feel, I feel good for the first time in my life. And like, I think, you know, kind of like, I've really, I've come full circle and like, and I'm, and I've processed it and this is all behind me now. And that was kind of when he said, like, I'm one of the, I think I'm one of the nicer showrunners who's ever been. And that was like this whole, you know, this whole, this whole speech about how like, you may be right about that. Yeah, I know. It doesn't, doesn't, I mean, doesn't mean anything. Like, I mean, he's a third generation Hollywood guy. So who knows what his father and grandfather were like? I mean, probably. Yeah, I mean, I, like, I do think, you know, these are positions that, select for abusiveness that yeah. that value uh like antisocial behavior that the rest of the world and i look i mean i work in dc we we always call dc as you know hollywood for ugly people mm -hmm. and um and there's a, a lot in common between dc culture and la culture um and particularly the culture of predatory men it's you know and uh, you know, it just they have a lot in common. Their their things are similarly organized. I mean, I mentioned a congressional office. A congressional office is uh, there are four hundred cults of personality around charismatic men, and in small numbers, charismatic egomaniacal women. Um, and um, you know, these are so much like a Hollywood set um, that it's, you know, it's actually hard to explain how similar it is. It's just exactly the same culture down to the culture of celebrity and popularity, just oriented around a different thing. And I, um, I, I'm not like, who is the showrunner who is like, good to everybody who doesn't yell whose fingernails are trimmed and i'm not saying it's okay i'm saying it's a rotten culture rather than a rotten individual who, like whose fingernails are trimmed down to the level that you know he couldn't grab somebody's arm and and or like, maybe he just doesn't have like a, an impulse to physically you know a rage that they inspires them to physically exactly who, 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 who is this magical creature yeah, I mean, I guess the thing is that, like, that came up all the time in conversations that I had, you know, when I was reporting the piece, because people would get uncomfortable, like, why are you writing about him when actually, like, you know, there's so many other bad showrunners, too. And I guess, to me, the, the answer to that, I think, is what we were talking about earlier, which is just, like, well, he was an example then, and now he's, so that's why he's an example now. Like, if he hadn't been put on this pedestal as, like, good guy feminist hero, we none of this would be happening about him, particularly since many of the allegations, you know, are fairly like subtle on the scale of such things. Um, you know, he's he has. Oh, I think they're hugely subtle. Like we'll get into that in a second, but I mean, there are many of them, and they seem they seem consistent, but they are not as like they're not Harvey Weinstein type allegations. No, at least as of yet, you know. Yeah, and I mean, I I also this also informed my process, but like, you know, I heard things off the record that I couldn't put in the piece that were much yeah. worse than anything that's out there. And I wouldn't be surprised if those things eventually come out. Um, but it definitely informed how I was thinking about it too, because, you know, it's just like, it, 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 there is maybe a version of the world in which I'd have gone in and met with him and, um, been like he seems compelling. Okay, <laughs> I don't know. It's a little hard to know because by the time I was actually in his house, I had already heard these things. So that wasn't like um, really that wasn't didn't seem possible in my mind at that point. But you know, when I first was pursuing the story, I was like, maybe I don't know. Like I don't know what to make of these allegations so far. I don't know what to make of you know Ray Fisher and Charisma Carpenter necessarily. Um, yeah. But like, as you talk to more people who kind of all paint a similar picture, like, it ultimately is like, okay, maybe I heard from people that, like, Charisma was a bully on set. Okay, but it doesn't actually matter because what she's describing um, is very consistent with other things people have described down to, like, calling <laughs> her fat when she was pregnant, which, you know, he clearly did multiple other times. So, can... Sorry, go, go ahead, ahead Pei. 
No, go ahead. So, but how, um, uh, you know, when, when, uh, sorry, I just completely lost my train of thought. Oh, it's so fine. I'm going to regain have... it while Kate's asking her okay. question. My question is to go back to what you said about Hitchcock, what we could go back to like any number of people who are creators um, in history. And we have now gotten more like full pictures on who they were as individuals and who they were as artists and producers. I mean, anyone from like literally fucking like Hemingway to Shakespeare, I mean, like the, like the list could go on infinitely. Um, and the fact that there has still not been, at least to my mind, this reckoning or this kind of decision about what we're supposed to do with artists who create art that we like, but who are people that we hate. And when or like or like and like the delta between the discovery right and so like like or how bad it really is so like all of those things like and i don't know how to fit any of those things like my like john my partner like says like if you could know that to have the music of michael jackson you would have to sacrifice like a number of like little boys do it of course you wouldn't do it Right. But the fact that this horrible thing happened and that there is like this terror, like, does that mean that we like, we're like, that we just like discount all of Michael Jackson's oeuvre ever? Um, I mean, that's a really actually a reasonable thing to do, like in light of the, the horrendous things that he like purportedly did. Um, I would just say, if you frame that as a trolley problem, it would not be reasonable. I know. You know if, if you'd said, because we killed this guy in order to save those people, we shouldn't take the benefits of having done it, so we should kill those five people too, that would sound ridiculous. And it seems to me the same thing. Oh, wait, wait. So in which regard? Like, that we shouldn't have the benefits of the, like, Michael Jackson's music? No. We, we should absolutely yeah. have the benefits yeah. of it. We should absolutely have the benefits of Joss Whedon. Um, and his work. We should uh, have the benefits of Richard Wagner, though he played some role in the development of Nazism. Um, and, um, and you know, if, if again, like, think of it as a trolley problem. If you say, well, you chose to throw that switch and uh, thus kill this poor guy to save those people, so it was a corrupt thing, therefore you shouldn't have the benefit of those people being alive, so let's kill them too. Um, you know, we made a we inadvertently made a corrupt decision by trusting Joss Whedon. Uh, we paid uh, some people paid a price for it. Um, uh, that price was significant. There's nothing we can do about that now, save. Uh, but the benefits are that we got some tremendous work. We would not we would not take that trade willingly. But the question is whether you give up the benefits of it in retrospect. And I'm not, you know, I, I don't see why the answer to that shouldn't be, of course. I guess I don't see that as the question, personally. Like, I mean, there. I think there's two different issues, like, with a living creator. Like, there's a question about, like, should he work again? Should he run a show again? I mean... Oh, that's a great question. That I would say, like, I wouldn't want to work on it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't know about how, how, like, I like working, I like, for the first time in my life, I'm working for someone who's nice. And like, I don't want to work for someone who's an asshole again. And I won't. Yeah, I just, I just want to point out that yeah. journalism has its own problems in this. Uh, yeah. Yes. Are, are, like, are not necessarily well. less than Hollywood's. No, they're not. And as I can say, when one of my former, our former boss uh, tweeted my article, I felt a lot of complicated things about that. I was like, felt kind of shitty i was kind of like i was kind of like an inch away from just like torturing him on twitter you know and saying like it's funny because like <laughs> the things that um were described to me the person who i thought of most of as a boss was that guy but anyway i mean i currently like my editor a lot she's fantastic she's really nice she has my best interests we collaborate beautifully I wouldn't sacrifice that to go work for someone like um, Joss, you know, and 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 I couldn't blame anyone else who, if he was staffing up a show, wouldn't want to work for him. And I also couldn't blame executives who are like, this guy's maybe a liability because 
Um, maybe he has bad judgment. Maybe he can't take a project home. You know, there's all sorts of questions they might have about him. And I don't think any of those qualms are irresponsible to have, you know, and, but that's separate from what we were talking about. So the question is like, can you watch Buffy? Like, and to me or any of these other, you know, Hitchcock or Kubrick or like whatever. And to me, I mean, it's just like a very, I don't think it's, I don't really view it as like a public debate. I think it's like a, a personal decision because really the question is like, can you enjoy it? Like no one's going to like put a gun to your head and be like, watch it. You know what I mean? Or like conversely, like if you're watching it, no one's going to shoot you. So it's like, it's really just like, do you, will you find it pleasurable now today? And I think for me- It's a wonderful point. I love that point. That's so know, great. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, that's why we're, that's why we consume art, you know, anyway, is because it's like pleasurable to us or like enriching in some way. And like, so it's like, but I mean, there's also, you're touching on an idea of like, to you, like to quote a legal, like a legal scholar, but like the idea of like intellectual privacy. So like the idea that you shouldn't be kind of like condemned for the things that you read or consume in the privacy of your own home, whether they be pornography or communism, like that those are not things that are like you, you should be run out in the rails for. Um, and I, I think that that's kind of what you're talking about in a way. Yeah. And like, and even if people still want to participate in these communities around this, like, you know, actually I know that like buffering the vampire slayer or whatever, they're having like a Buffy prom, you know, next month. And it's like, you know, I think like, that's nice. Like if they still like to connect through that and they still want to like come together and watch the show, like, I don't think anything is wrong with that. And, but I will say though, that like personally for myself, like I think I burnt out on Buffy while I was, <laughs> while I was working on this piece. Like, it's not fun for me anymore because like, as I watch it now, like I'm seeing him and like, I don't want to, like, I already spent enough time in his brain, I think. And it's just not like, I'd just rather watch other things you know but you're a, but, but you're a unique viewer in that respect in the sense that the average viewer or non-viewer of Buffy doesn't have the option of calling up Joss Whedon and spending many months in his brain um and so I think I think your experience of it is almost peculiarly unrepresentative of anything in that it is exceptionally deep. I think that's, yeah, I think that that's true. Like, I mean, it's a, now at this point, it's like, um, a, it's a personal memory I have. It was a, an actual encounter that went on, you know, occupied a lot of psychic space. And I mean, this is, this is my experience of the, of the, firing of Jim Comey and the attempt to shut down the Russia investigation, nobody should interpret it through the lens of my experience with it, yeah. right? It's, it's just this serendipitous thing that happened that gives me uh, insight into it, you know, whatever, but it's, but it's so peculiar to me that, that nobody should draw any conclusions based on it. Right. But I also think that like people now have read the article, which was the product of my being inside his brain for this period of time. And it's so, changed you know, my mind. Yeah. Like you're, you know, it's like you can take in, the, like, I mean, to me, it's like I, the, the, the only position that I really object to is what I was talking about earlier, where people are saying like, well, he wasn't really what made it good. Because to me, that's just like, now you're just like having another fantasy. Like you, you that's just bullshit. and now you're yeah. delusional, you know, and I, that, I, that, that, in particular really it is bullshit and that that uh, is annoying to to see that um online and, and people gave me shit on twitter for like um the paragraph in the piece where i have kind of talking about that idea you know that like um fans have tried to scrub him away and people on twitter have been like don't don't you dare say that like marty noxon and jane espenson like weren't just as vitally important as joss was and it's just like well <laughs> It's not their show, you know? It is simply impossible. First of all, yeah, there, yeah. there is no movie or show that is good despite its director. Totally. Um, that, like, it's it just not how these things work. And They were well, huge, but they were not, they were not the but-for cause of this. No, but, but also, you know, this show was, and all of his shows, I, I think, were unique products of his peculiar mind. Yeah. And like the, 
someone rising as a writer or as a, as an actor on that show is only able to do that in as much as they are the perfect conduit for his vision. <laughs> so it's like to be a writer on that show, you had to like write Jossie, you know, and people who could do it, who could channel his voice rose. And if you couldn't channel his voice, you got fired. And like, there's nothing really wrong with that. I don't think because the point is like that, that is one of the things that makes it a good show because it has a really consistent voice and perspective. And that comes from that like control that he exerted over it, you know? So anyway, though, like, I mean, to, to the broader point, it's like, I certainly still watch, I mean, I wrote like a, this piece like two years ago about how I like watched Eyes Wide Shut a hundred times. It's like, I don't think Kubrick is like, <laughs> he wasn't like a nice man, obviously, you know? So it's like, I don't really have a problem with like artists not being, you know, good people. Like I think probably a lot of artists like are not good people and like probably most of them are narcissists or at least like many of them are narcissists, you know, and probably many of them mistreat the people in their lives in varying ways. And I think that that's like part of the human condition and like, I don't know. So it's like, I don't necessarily, I don't feel like, but, but I don't think that my feeling about Buffy now is exclusively a result of spending time with him. I do think that actually part of it was like, I already had kind of pulled away from my um, rewatches of his work. And I think that was a little bit about just like getting older, like being in a different phase of my life, like not feeling the kind of like angsty feeling that I was so sort of in when I was obsessed with that show so much. I mean, there were still moments where I'd put it on, but it wasn't like what I had. I mean, I think I did spend like maybe, you know, six or seven years just watching it constantly. And like, I think that was just like, I was already done with that before, by the time I set out to work on that. I will say that, so um, Paul is about to come on, who I previously mentioned who sent me the flowers, who is wonderful and in the Buffy group. And so her, her watching it and reacting to it has like completely, and watching her react to it has completely changed. She's 20, 21, 22, uh, and she'll tell you in a second, but she has complete, it has completely changed kind of like my, how I view this in kind of a modern era. Um, but Paula, hi, you're a blue, you're a, you're a green rectangle, but uh, we can hear you. Um, yeah, just the one question or both? Or both, or like, yeah, you can respond to what I was saying about how we've been watching this and like your, your observations and just like the first two seasons. Yeah, so one of my first observations is like everything is like super, super sexualized and it's like in, but it's not just in the explicitly sexual parts of it. It's like in every single like subtlety and like all of the villains are like, it's a lot of violence against all the female characters. And that's what I just continuously noticed. And of course, like the whole vampire thing kind of has that subtlety already, but it seems like there's just a lot loaded in and a lot of it like kind of gives off like rapey vibes, like in the show, like the um, the way like the male characters act. And to Ben's point, I was wondering if like, there is almost like some weird like overcompensation, like when you have to continuously say I'm a feminist, like at what point is it kind of going in the opposite behavior? Cause I, I had a personal experience where a guy was like, I'm such a super feminist. And he was like, you know, you have different obstacles than me, which is true. But then continued to say, you will never achieve as much as I can because of it. And I was like, well, that seems excessive. <laughs> and it was almost like a weird overcompensation. And I was kind of wondering, what do you think of that? Well, that show is a huge overcompensation. Yeah. The whole thing is a, is a giant exercise in overcompensation. Absolutely. What does it mean when um, a vision of a feminist is you know, it's like, oh, it's a feminist show because the woman can really take a punch or because um, she's <laughs> back down, you know, it's like that whole, when you think about it from that perspective, it's like, yeah, like it's, it's not, um, it's very, it's, there's a very intense like male gaze to the show and, and to all of his work. And it's always captured in his, you know, representatives on screen, like, Z you know, Zan feels, case of feels like the, the equivalent of white savior culture, but for like male savior culture of women, like I am making a women superhero. And so you should be so happy that I'm making a woman superhero with my male power. Like, it's just kind of like this real 
like, I don't know. It's just really complex. <laughs> the thing is that like the world was happy, you know, it's like he was, that's why he was, a he was honored at a night literally called like honoring men on the front lines, like of feminism, you know, there was an evening dedicated to that and he was honored, you know, so it's like, but yeah, like I think that from today's perspective, and I talked about this with him actually, like I, I, I told him like, you know, at the beginning, uh, when I was first watching Buffy, I did see it. I, I like the emphasis in my mind then was about how she always gets back up, you know, and she always saves the day. And now when I watch it, I see her being pushed down, you know, and every time she's punched and every time she's dragged down again or murdered again or whatever, you know, so. And, and his response to that was to talk about um, this idea of the incoherent text, you know, and, and the women's picture that like the, his uh, mentor at Wesleyan, Janine um, Bassinger, had written a book about, you know, so it's like, he's like, you know, both things are true. So that's his kind of, that's his spin on this idea. And I think he would say that like two things, like his idea about an incoherent text is like two things can be true at the same time, but that doesn't make it hypocritical. It makes it interesting. Now, I think like today, like that's kind of an old fashioned way of thinking about it. You know, I believe that actually, I think life is complicated. And if you're representing something, you know, I think Mishima, uh, before he cut his belly open, said that the goal wasn't to live free of contradictions, it was to be comfortable with your contradictions. Um, and I actually subscribe to that. I think it's perfectly fine for Joss Whedon to have, you know, for it to be complicated and interesting. It's not perfectly fine for him to behave the way he behaved. That That's, you know, I don't, I don't begrudge the messaging. I don't, like, I don't think the goal of, these productions should be to say what people want to hear message wise but you know there's the whole being an asshole thing which is a, just a different being an abusive human being which isn't about the contents of your show it's just about how you treat people yeah mateo um you have a great question go for it and are you a Buffy person? I've never seen an episode, but I read the article and I thought it was really good uh, and, and really interesting. And maybe I'll maybe I'll watch it. Um, but my question is, uh, as a fan, if there's any level on which you wish you'd never heard this about Joss Whedon, and also now it seems to me that the Buffy show, um, you know, it, it always had uh, stuff about it that wasn't, you know, within the 22 minutes of each episode, or maybe they're hour episodes, I don't know, uh, which was like the online community and all the analysis people would, would do on it. And the stuff that's come out about Joss Whedon has sort of, is now obviously a part of the of the meta show. And I'm curious uh, how you feel as, as a fan to now have been a part of the thing and I don't know. It's it's self similar in a lot of really interesting ways, and I'm curious how you think of the whole thing now. I mean, I'm not I'm not sorry because I mean I I'm curious about like the world, and I you know and and I am you know there was sort of a mass delusion about him, and like I would prefer to live in reality. So I think that I am not sorry to have like learned you know, learn these things about him. And I, I think it's ultimately good for culture to like have these conversations, particularly when someone has been elevated in that particular way to say like, you know, that was a fantasy we all had. And, you know, and, you know, it's better, I think, to not, you know, live based on fantasy. I, you know, that, so that's my, that's my view on that. I mean, I remember my dad, reading um reading kind of like Robert Frost to me when I was very young and that being a huge part of like my growing up was having him memor having me memorize Robert Frost poems and we would have these conversations about them and all of this stuff and the difference between like I will I'll never forget like finding out when I got to college that Robert Frost was actually a very complex individual who <laughs> was um 
you know, notoriously cheated on his wives uh, or his wife and was a wife beater and like was like very kind of had this really terrible reputation and like kind of coming to terms with the fact that my father certainly didn't know that and kind of like bringing me up in kind of this like, oh, like he just thought it was he was a beautiful poet and knew him as like this poet laureate. Um, but it just, I think that it's all just kind of is to say that every, like, that there has to be a line between artist and art. And as you say, like, your decision about where you draw that line ends up being like an incredibly personal one. Like, I don't, like, I still love Robert Frost poems, but I don't go back to them as comfort the way that I used to. They're not that for me anymore, right? Like, they're still beautiful and spare. And like, I really love a lot of them and think they're brilliant and think that they're great works of art but they don't emotionally feel like what they did before I knew all of those things about how he lived his life. And like, I would say that like Buffy is receding in a similar way for me. Um, and so is like all of his other stuff. But like that said, there's still a lot of really brilliant things that he was able to put out into the world that like hopefully can like, I don't know, like be generative for other, other artists and other movements. Yeah. And like, I was thinking like, you know, I mean, I, so I have a baby, I have a baby, a baby daughter. And I was thinking like, oh, I don't think I'll watch it again on my own. But like, if she wanted to watch it, you know, I would watch it with her. Like, and that would be like interesting and new. And I don't feel like, you know, um, but, but she wouldn't watch it believing <laughs> that Jaws was a feminist hero. So I think part of it, the question is like, can people like it knowing, um, what they know about him now like or how much of how we felt about the show collectively like as a culture sort of hinged a little bit on this fantasy i'm not sure yeah like watching it with paula changes my mind i still think it's very good and the writing sharp and there are fundamental kinds of things that it like even though like it's a little bit i don't know there are parts of it that like seem to me Paula calls them a little bit rapey, but I'm kind of like, this is maybe just like a, a like a dynamic. Uh, like, I don't know, like, it's hard also to tell, like, that is an, that's another huge part of the show that's like very difficult is like to tell like how much of it is a, like an anti-feminist, like sexual dynamic and how much is like kind of just like a, I don't know, as Ben, what did Ben, what did you say before Ben about how he was like basically like, you felt like he was clearly playing out like his own kind of dominance and like his own like sexual like stuff in the show. I feel like that's very true. I mean, I, yeah, I don't even think that's, um, I don't even think that's subtle, right? Like, yeah, why, no, it's why, not. why do you, this isn't Proust, you know, where you can delve for, you know, years in the complexity of what this is really about and what they're talking about, right? This is uh, guys who, or sometimes women, who want to sink their fangs into people's necks and people who want need to respond to that to protect their lives by driving wood into their hearts. Um, and there are, uh, for added fun, there's some martial arts, um, which none of the people in question are physically in a position to do, and there's repartee. Um, that is the whole, right, the whole show, actually. Um, and it's wow, very- Wow, really are like redu reductionist. I, 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 I feel like that's reductive. Um, it's super well-written. It's very witty. The repartee uh, I, is great. I love okay. it. I think, and look, it starts out, you know, you know, it's, you know, it's something different than you've ever seen before in that first encounter between her and the uh, principal of the school in which he talks about her having burned down the gym and uh, at her previous school. And she says, yeah, but it was full of vampires. I mean, asbestos. Um, <laughs> and, you know, that like, like there's nothing ever been written like that before. Um, but it's not subtle what it's about. It's about men who want to consume women and women who have to do, who defend themselves. I don't know. Like two of the women, two of the worst vampires are women. I don't know. There's like, we could get into this, but like there's- Yeah, like there's, they're Jelaine like, Maxwell. 
I mean, oh, God. I think like actually what is kind of fucked me up about it now, like revisiting this today is thinking about how when I was first watching it, like I think what I was drawn to were those dynamics and not just in the show, but in my life and the show echoed those things and maybe even made them feel um, okay or normal. Like there was some moment where I was working on this piece where I was like, was I groomed by Joss Whedon? You know, like there's some way that it normalizes these kinds of dynamics and, and like, you know, and, and mirrors them and shows you that they're normal and real and maybe feel really good and maybe feel bad, but maybe feel good again. You know, it's like, it sucks you into this way of thinking. And I think when I look back on it, like that's one of the things that does make me actually feel uncomfortable. Like, or that's one of the things I've, I mean, like literally in the middle of working on this, I was like, I need to be in therapy immediately. And we spent like <laughs> my first three months of my like new therapy, almost exclusively talking about Joss Whedon and like my reactions to him, my responses, what it was like sitting in a room with him, what it was like dealing with him, how much I was identifying with his ex-girlfriends, you know, just like all of this stuff like was really coming up for me. And that's also part of the reason why it's like, I've moved away a little bit just because like it's not feeding me in the same way it really was when I was like 19. Well we have to like wrap but I just want to say that that is like a wonderfully thoughtful kind of way to go out on it and like I just want to say that like none of us get to know this about the the culture that we consume. We don't ever have the full picture of the culture that we consume in the moment and it can and I would say that like 19 year old you might still select to like have the comfort that like that show gave you and like choose to kind of revise your history of it from this. I mean, like at least you're, I, I would say that like, at least you are interested in like interesting people and like kind of interesting stories and like how they develop. And like, you're not gonna be statically like kind of like stuck on Whedon and defending him in some type of way because you think it's inherent to the art to like defend the artist. And I think that that's actually like, I don't know, it's how like kind of the cultural lens shifts and we kind of move forward and kind of hopefully get better art. And, um, you know, but I actually, I do think that people are always gonna be assholes and there's always going to be these types of like, I think there's gonna be more and more of these types of like stories of people being terrible to work for and like kind of all of these types of things. Cause I, as Ben says, like, I think this is just inherent in the industry of like the hierarchy of both like politics and of hollywood like i just think it's inherent like you just by, by the way I, yeah. I don't think it's inherent um, you don't i don't think i mean i think that the tension that leads to it is inherent the high you know but i don't believe it's necessary in journalism i've worked in journalism for 30 years now no it's um, not yeah. and i believe that abusiveness is not necessary um and I don't believe it is inherent in Hollywood, though I don't know that community as well. I think Hollywood is both of the, you know, communities that are obsessed with individuality and um, and with um, uh, with uh, sort of cults of creativity are very prone to it, um, but you know, there's a place for decency and uh, the uh, just there's a place for uh, developing communities that are like have a strong no asshole rule. And uh, I don't believe it's inherent. I think the tension is inherent. And, um, you know, and if you start with what Lila said at the beginning, which is that she's for the first time in her life working in an environment in which she really loves her boss, you know, that's not like inherently, if you think of it as an inherent problem, you would eliminate that possibility. It's yeah, just something course. where we just have to demand that people behave decently to each other. But I do think though, that like one of my biggest takeaways from reporting they could be part of a cultural shift is like, it's just a huge error to worship someone, <laughs> anyone, 
any human, you know, it, it's terrible. Like all statues should be taken down in, in my view. Like it's like, it's a terrible thing. It's a terrible human experience, both for the people who are worshiping and for like the person being worshiped. And it was obviously very poisonous for him to be elevated in this way, you know? And it's like, the more we like think about showrunners as auteurs and like our obsession with like, with them as people as artists not just like it's not like we just watched the show and didn't know who joss was i mean if you look at the ew 20th anniversary photo spread he's in front of sarah michelle geller <laughs> he's like the most prominent person in that photo and you're like that's a, a problem like there's something fundamentally like skewering about it and i don't see like it would take a very special person actually not to have that influence them in some way and their behavior in some way kindness yeah. is underrated is. we're gonna leave it there lila shapiro you're a great american uh <laughs> and it's a pleasure ben, to, ben says that to any everyone don't uh, not, not non-americans or german or yeah I, mean, I just made an <laughs> assumption that you were american but um yeah. it's a pleasure to meet you super interesting article and subject we will be back on Monday. Uh, I won't, but uh, Kate and uh, and the estimable Scott Shapiro, who has been on a roll on Twitter, will be. Uh, he will be back from Lisbon, I think. Uh, and who's the guest going to be, KK? Nate Lubin, who just published a great piece in in um, the Atlantic about uh, Facebook and the new ways that it is threatening democracy. And so that will be on Monday at five o'clock. Precisely a bunch of hours and 58 minutes from now. And until then, Kate? We can have fun anymore, but in lieu of fun, we can have an entire hour devoted to Buffy the Vampire Slayer and my old friend Lila. So Even while war is raging in Ukraine. Like yeah, I know. We like kind of ignored. We like just the... didn't talk about Ukraine. Because we're not allowed.